Alhamdulillah <coughs> وحده لا شريك له وإذا سألك عبادي عني فإني قريب أجيب دعوة الداعي إذا دعا فليستجيبوا لي وليؤمنوا بي لعلهم يرشدون وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا ووليانا ومولانا وولي أمرنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله قل إن كنتم تحبون الله فاتبعوني يحببكم الله من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعصي الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فهو حسبه والله غالب على أمره ولكن أكثر الناس لا يعلمون أما بعد أيها المؤمنون Brothers and sisters committed Muslims. An ayah in Allah's guiding book says, this is uh, around ayah 62 in Surah Yunus. Ala inna awliya Allah لا خوف عليهم ولا هم يحزنون ألا is an expression, an article to draw your attention حرف استفتاح and تنبيه ألا Pay attention. Ala Inna Awliya Allahi La Khawfun Alayhim Walahum Yahzanu. The Awliya Awliya is a plural, the singular is Wali. 
the awliya of Allah la khawfun alayhim there's no fear in them there's no fear over them there's no fear upon them la khawfun alayhim wala hum yahzanun and they don't grieve they're not sad about whatever happens for them or to them or against them or around them or whatever la khawfun alayhim wala hum yahzanun We probably mentioned this before, we'll mention it again. Fear has to do with something that you think is going to happen. And grief is something you feel for what already happened. So fear is for the future. Grief is of the past Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying the awliya of Allah they are not intimidated by what may happen today tomorrow sometime in the future they're immune they have an immunity and also they are not burdened by the feelings of regret or the feelings of sorrow or whatever from what already happened this is a total liberation character and personality of those who are the awliya of Allah now yours truly here with all the effort and maybe skills of dealing with two languages almost at the same level when it comes to the issue of trying to take the word awliya from the Quranic Arabic to the secular English, you run into some problems. In an elementary fashion, trying to explain the word wali, this is a Quranic word, Quranic terminology not speaking here about some philosophical or some mundane vocabulary no this is Quran and we try as much as possible to absorb as much as possible the meanings of the Quran to explain wali or awliya <coughs> waliya is to come after, to follow, waliya. 
So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing a certain group of people as awliya, they are the ones who, in a sense, are trailing. And remember, always when we speak about al-haqq subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are speaking in relative terms, just as a matter of trying to understand. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about a certain class of people as awliya, He's speaking about them, trying to define them as those who are trailing Allah. They are the awliya of Allah, so they are trailing Allah. Now Allah Azza wa Jal is not something material. We trail something material. There's a car, you follow a car. There's a bus, you trail a bus. There's a a certain object, you go behind it. That you can understand. But we can't see, we can't hear, we can't sense Allah with our senses. So you get to ask yourself, so how do I become a wali of Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala, how do I trail him? In a hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is helping us out to understand how how we can get there, how we can do this. He says, and here also the word wali occurs. He says, Man aada li waliyan faqad aadhantuhu bilharb. Whoever becomes an enemy of my wali, then I have put him on notice concerning war, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to take him on whoever this enemy of Allah's wali is, Allah is going to take him on in a form of warfare. مَنْ عَادَ لِي وَلِيًّا فَقَدْ آذَنْتُهُ بِالْحَرْبِ وَمَا تَقَرَّبَ إِلَيَّ عَبْدِي بِشَيْءٍ أَحَبَّ إِلَيَّ مِمَّ افْتَرَضْتُهُ عَلَيْهِ And my subject, Allah speaking, my subject has not approached me, has not come into my proximity with anything more desirous to me than of those things that I have made obligatory to him. وَمَا زَالَ عَبْدِي يَتَقَرَّبُ إِلَيَّ بِالنَّوَافِلِ حَتَّى أُحِبَّهِ and my subject keeps on coming to me with the extras. And nawafil are the extras. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us the necessary things to do in approaching him. But if you do more than that, 
that's called a nafila. You keep on doing a little more than what Allah has told you to do as a matter of obligation and then Allah begins to love you. فَإِذَا أَحْبَبْتُهُ كُنْتُ سَمْعَهُ الَّذِي يَسْمَعُ بِهِ And if I love him, I become his hearing, his ears that he hears with. وَعَيْنَهُ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes his eye or بَصَرَهُ الَّذِي يُبْصِرُ بِهِ subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say the word technically the word ear or the word eye he said sam'ahu and basarahu the faculty of listening and the faculty of seeing Allah becomes that faculty inside of his wali وَيَدَهُ الَّتِي يَبْطِشُ بِهَا And his hand that he uses with force. وَرِجْلَهُ الَّتِي يَمْشِي بِهَا And the leg that he uses to walk. وَإِنْ سَأَلَنِي لَأُعْطِيَنَّهُ At that point, After all of that, if he asks me, I am certainly going to give him. وَإِنْ سَأَلَنِي لَأُعْطِيَنَّهُ وَلَإِنْ إِسْتَعَاذَنِي لَأُعِيذَنَّهُ And if he comes to me for protection, I'm going to give it to him. Okay. Up until here, I think there's nothing very difficult to understand. The issue is between understanding this, which I think is understood, between understanding it and then behaving it, there's there's what seems to be like a gap. Okay, we understand this. But how does it become a behavior? The distance between knowing it in your mind and actualizing it in your real life, in what you do, there's the element of ghaib. There's an unknown. It's not something physical that we are dealing with. It's a chemistry between our hearts and our feelings and our internal thoughts and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this ghaib, when you think about ghaib, as far as we humans are concerned, there is a relative ghaib. I'm not right now, let's say, in Mecca or in Medina. I don't know what's happening there. I'm not somewhere one mile from here. I don't know what's happening. That's ghaib. I don't know this. 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in that ghaib. He's there where I don't know. So accessing Allah is not strictly a matter of knowing, even though knowing is a key. You need that key. If you don't know something, if I don't know I want Allah, how can I get him? I have to know something. But it doesn't stop there. And I'm not trying to be philosophical here. You know, I try to avoid philosophizing on issues. But sometimes to try to explain something, some details may seem a little rough. I'm trying to avoid this element of being a little rough. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-An'am, Ayah 59, وَعِنْدَهُ مَفَاتِعُ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا إِلَّا هُ It is Allah who has the keys to Al-Ghayb. We don't have it. We, we have the knowledge of it, yes. We know of it, but we don't know how to penetrate it. And He's trying to help us out. Ayah number 9 in Surah Al-Shura says, فَاللَّهُ هُوَ الْوَلِيِّ Allah is the wali. Think. Allah is saying in some ayat, we are wali, we are awliya. In another ayah, he is saying, he is al-wali. And we try to explain wali is to trail. We try to trail Allah. And Allah tries, he doesn't try, we can't say that. Allah trails us. He is al-wali. Another way of understanding the word wali is someone who comes second. Someone who comes, there's the first and then someone who follows immediately as a second as if you are in the company of Allah it's like a shadow al-wali is like a shadow Allah you become Allah's shadow and Allah becomes your shadow and remember here because there's some people who when they listen to this because they're programmed in a physical and in a material and in a technical and in a fiqhi way, they'll say, Astaghfirullah, what is he saying? This is what they'll say. Allah is a shadow of man, or man is a shadow of Allah. We're not speaking in the material world. We are speaking in the realm of nafs and ar-ruh ta'ala allahu amma yaquluna uluwan kabira allahu waliyu alladhina amanu yukhrijuhum min al-dhulumati ila an-nur allah is the wali of alladhina amanu he extracts them from darkness or obscurity into light or enlightenment. Uh, I have 
جزء آية الكرسي إن سورة البقرة الله ولي الذين آمنوا يخرجهم من الظلمات إلى النور والذين كفروا أولياؤهم الطاغوت يخرجونهم من النور إلى الظلمات In another hadith قدسي to begin to feel how to germinate and then generate your relationship with Allah in another hadith Qudsi Allah says Yabna Adam O child of Adam Ana Laka Muhib I for you am an admirer an adorer a lover Ana Laka Muhib Allah is telling us It's like saying, don't you think it is my right over you? Listen to the courtesy in the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala worded this meaning. Don't you think as a matter of my right over you? You adore, admire, and love me. Now, in the world today, in when we speak about Muslims and Islam and all of this, many of the people who are involved in issues of responsibility, the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seems to be absent. From their character, their behavior, their interaction with others. You can sense it. Some of them seem to be living in ivory towers. They're not living with real people. And whatever subject they're speaking, I mean, you can sense this. It doesn't take a committee to figure this out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says he has made things obligatory to us you know he he expects us to put an effort for him minimum effort and the hadith that is well known bunyad islamu ala khams al-islam has been established on five things constructed on five things Shahadati an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadan rasulullah wa iqami salah wa ita'i zakah wa sawmi ramadan wa hajjil bayti man istata'a ilayhi sabila Everyone knows this. So these are the fara'id that Allah has extended to us as a minimal, minimum so that we may be on good terms with him if we do what we do in this regard with a conscience and with a heart not like mechanics and robots Islam has become a mechanical thing robotic you pray it's like a robot you fast it's like a robot the meaning and the spirit in it is gone 
we say ashhadu an la ilaha illallah the minimal of it is once you say it that's it and now you are in the house of islam so to speak and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is expecting us the minimum five times a day to orient ourselves towards Him. To have this type of meaningful interaction with Him. Meaningful interaction with Him. Not just, you know, repeating some ayat absent-mindedly. Going through ruku'ah and sujood, the up and the down without the meaning of humility to it, when you go to ruku'ah like this, you're in front of Allah. Think of yourself, if there's a king in front of you and you went like this, you went into ruku'ah. That moment, doing it in front of a president or a king or some big shot, that has the meaning of submission in you. Think about doing a sajda in front of a king. Why would that have more meaning? Let's say you went right now to the White House or any other castle of some very high-ranking decision maker and you performed a sajda in front of that person. Well, you're preferring sajda every day in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why is it that you think in your mind doing that in front of that person has more negative meaning than doing it in front of Allah with more positive meaning. Why? This is something, this is something extraordinarily important. Zakah. We are required to pay, and we pray the minimum, whatever, two and a half, whatever percentage, you pay it. We fast the month of Ramadan, if we can, we go to Hajj, if we can. All of these, let's say I'm poor, I can't pay zakah, okay, you're exempt. Let's say I'm sick, I can't fast Ramadan, okay, you're exempt. Let's say I don't have enough money and I don't have enough health, vitality, I can't go to Mecca, you're exempt. But there's no exemption from salah. If you're sick, you're still expected to do salah. If you're poor, you're still expected to perform the salah. Whatever condition, if you can't go through ruku' and sujood, you, you gesticulate with your hands. If you're paralyzed, totally paralyzed, you do it in your heart. There's no excuse. Because this is the channel that we have to Allah. This is the minimum, the minimal channel. Nothing can be less than that. Allah expects this from us. Let me try to, to put it in a method, in an analogy, a similarity of sorts. Let's say, and please pay attention because this is one one way you can better understand the whole subject. There are some people, 
and I know we don't have much time, there are some people who sincerely obey Allah, fervently submit to Allah in a conscious and in a heartfelt manner. They're not automatons. They're real interacting humans with Allah. It's called ta'a. They pursue this interaction with Allah, this ta'a that becomes nawafil, that becomes the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They pursue all of this until Allah designates them as his awliya. He gives them what is called karama. The honor of doing things that are not normal. When Allah does things that are not normal, it's called an ayah. When a human being does something that is not normal, it's called a karama. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored his awliya with karamat. Because they approached him through their utter, unconditional, and heartfelt obedience. There are others in life who Allah honors them before they obey him. He gives them karama when they really are not conscious of him. When Allah gives them this karama, then they become conscious of him and they fulfill his will through the ta'a of him, the obedience of him. To explain this in a very simple way, and as I said, to explain this in a way that everyone can understand. Let's say you are a very wealthy and resourceful person. And someone comes and knocks on your door. They are hungry, they are in need. They want something from you to help them out. You give them of what you have. They appreciate what you did for them. So they want to pay you back in whichever way they can. They want to be your friend. They want to like you. They want to love you because you honor them even though they didn't do anything for you. You don't know who they are. But to them, this was something impossible. And they appreciate it. So it was like you giving them a karama. You won them over. (laughs) 
And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one channel of his interaction with people, this is one way he wins them over. They may not know him, they may not recognize him, but when in life they are in trouble or they are at the survival level, they are desperate, and you give them what they need, they want to appreciate that because there's still some dignity some transparency in them. That's when a person is in need. So there are some people who pursue Allah's obedience and Allah honors them with His karama. And there are some people who Allah honors in His infinite knowledge. He knows these people. He's not. And by honoring them, they begin to obey Him. We don't close the doors. We human beings are the ones that begin closing doors on people. Why are people turned off? It's not in the nature of people that they don't want Allah. It's in the nature of people they don't want the type of Allah that you speak about. An Allah of hate, an Allah of bloodshed, an Allah of savagery, uh, all of this other stuff that is going on in front of our own eyes, we see it. It's played all over the place. And when you go to the bottom of it, dig deep down inside this phenomenon that right now is killing us in the world, Our enemies call it terrorism. We ourselves call it Salafism or Wahhabism or whatever it is. And now it has many flavors to it. It's killing us. Where did this come from? It came from us. Who produced this? We produced it. It wasn't imposed on us. And this is what happens when we part with Allah. We distance ourselves from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we only remember Him as a matter of habit, not as a matter of meaning. meaning, Just a matter of habit. And there are other ahadith, qudsiyah and I have to abbreviate. I will come to a saying that has a lot of meaning in it. This is in the world of those who are interacting with Allah constantly. Salah, the technical salah that we offer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a very small proportion of their relationship with Allah. Measure that with those who, that's the only relationship they have with Allah. So a vast difference here. These people who have reached the point in their life when all of their efforts are in the presence and with the will of Allah. Allahumma inni akhsha an la 
مبني على الطاعة لأنني أصبحت أشتهيها The person, such persons, when they finesse this relationship with Allah, they say, I'm now afraid. Not the fear that we're speaking about, la khawfun alayhim. This is not khawf, this is khashya. I have a reservation in me. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to reward me anymore. This is a person who is always in Allah's presence. He says, I right now, I'm not sure that Allah azza wa jal is going to reward me for what I am doing for him. And he tells us why. He says, because now... I desire this relationship with him. This desire is like a habitual thing. It's like something he gets a kick out of. Another person at another time said, لو علم الملوك ما نحن عليه لقاتلونا if these opulent kings knew what we had, what we have in us, they would fight to get it. They would fight us to get what we have in us. This is what's absent. This behavior, I mean, maybe you understood, and I hope everyone understood what was said. But understanding is one thing, and that understanding itself becoming an effort in life is something else. وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ أُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ And your sustainer said, call upon me and I will respond to you. I will answer you. أُدْعُوهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَأَنْتُمْ عَلَى يَقِينٍ بِالْإِجَابَةِ الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters Being in close, very close proximity to Allah in our eternal selves, as we think through life, as we feel through the details of our everyday developments, that doesn't mean we cannot extend our minds 
to analyze and figure out what is going on around us with that fervent heart, with that warm relationship with Allah doesn't mean we cannot look around and understand the world, especially when it has to do with our Qibla, with our Kaaba, with the birthland of our Islam and the birthplace of our Prophet. And looking at this, when we do, we look at it with the help and with the guidance of Allah Ta'ala Hikmato. There's this coming week. Let's not go into some hiding place. Let's look at what's going to happen. This coming week, this person who acts like an adolescent, who makes decisions for Mecca and Al-Medina, if he came from somewhere else in the world, we probably would never mention what he is doing. But Mecca and Al-Medina are not personal properties. They are not someone's backyard. This is an open, accessible part of the world for humanity. جَعَلَ اللَّهُ الْكَعْبَةَ الْبَيْتَ الْحَرَامَ قِيَامًا لِلنَّاسِ So when this person is scheduled to come here next week, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, He knows what يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ وَأَخْفَى He knows what is secret and what is even more secret than that. يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنُ وَمَا تُخْفِي الصُّدُورِ He knows the deceiving looks, the treacherous eyes, and whatever is concealed in their bosoms. This person said, and he's probably going to be on TV, I think 60 minutes this Sunday, someone said he's going to appear in an interview and listen to the words of animosity that he expresses towards those who are just trying to be obedient to Allah. He says, if Iran is going to acquire nuclear capability, I think his word is if Tehran is going to acquire nuclear capability, then Riyadh, meaning Saudi Arabia, is going to acquire nuclear technology and capability. That's what he says. It didn't bother him that Israel has nuclear bombs, nuclear technology. It's had it for the past, I don't know, 40 years or more. Since the mid-1960s. That didn't bother him. It doesn't bother them. That's all right. That's fine. They lived with it and they can live with it from here until eternity. But when some good Muslims just haven't acquired it yet, on their way to acquiring it, he's nervous. He's losing it. And he's expressing himself. 
his arrogant behavior. Now we were speaking in the first khutbah about awliya Allah. Far from it when we speak about this person who is said to have put his own mother, the king's wife, under house arrest. Now imagine if he's doing this to his mother, what he would do to anyone else. Exactly the behavior of Bani Israel. He can't hide in a robe. He can't hide in a masjid. He can't hide in Mecca or Medina. He can't hide in the Kaaba, in Al-Bayt Al-Haram. His behavior speaks volumes of whom he really is. For your information, his father, the current king, is said to have volunteered during the tripartite aggression against against Egypt in 1956. Can you believe this? In 1956, Salman, the king there, volunteered to go to war against the three aggressors against Egypt. Wealth, riches, treasuries, opulence, they have destructive effects on people. And look at him now. Instead of being what he was when he was poor, now that they have all of this money, look who they have become. It is said also that, you know, we have a racist issue, a racial problem. These rulers in Arabia, coached by Langley and the officials here, they put people of color inside the Islamic Center in Washington, D.C. They didn't do this because they like African Americans, blacks or brownies or whatever you want to call them. It's not because of that. It's because they're using these issues because we, the Muslims, are vulnerable. Some of us Muslims are still vulnerable to race. And so they comfortably go in there, tell them, educate them, inform them. The boss of the administration here at the Islamic Center, their boss in Saudi Arabia, King Salman himself, had an affair with an African, a black lady. This was way back then. And from her, he had a son whose name was Abdullah. Where's his son? Where's Abdullah? He was killed because he was black. But this information, no one wants this information to go out. They hold on to it because... And the, the spot when they launch the war of aggression this month, they're going to it's the fourth beginning, the fourth year of a war in Yemen. Did you notice the spokesperson for that war? What type of complexion he had? Once again, it wasn't per chance 
that they put a black a person who looks black or African, whatever your terminology is, in front of the cameras to say every day or every week what the latest military operations are in Yemen. His daughter, King Salman's daughter, the, the, the sister, they say the only sister of this MBS, she is now wanted by the French government because she had a technician or a designer, depending on the news you're reading, someone came to her plush place in Paris, one of the, now these, these are people who say that they honor Omar ibn al-Khattab and Abu Bakr, etc., and the Sahaba, etc., etc. And they fool the average Muslim. Why? Because they pray like Sunnis, they are Wahhabis, they are Hanbalis, they are this, that, and the other. See, this is the fiqhi blindsiding of Muslims. I don't care how they pray. It's not in how they pray, it's in the character that is praying. That character that is praying now would be the enemy of Abi Bakrin and Omar and the Sahaba because they never lived like that. So this daughter, her name is Hassa, she's wanted because they assaulted the technician who came or the designer who came to her place. She and her bodyguard. These are, is this the character and the description of people of Allah? And now they have in their court system six individuals who they want to execute because they were conspiring to kill the cousin of MBS. That billionaire, Al-Walid ibn Talal, still doesn't have the freedom to leave the kingdom. No one wants to speak about what's wrong. If you speak about this, what, you become non-Muslim? You become anti-Islamic? All the world can speak about it, but we Muslims, we can't consider it? They spent $120 billion on the war in Yemen. Imagine what $120 billion would have done if it would have been spent where it belongs to be spent. Mention to them, well, hey, look, you have Muslims from Palestine. You have Muslims who are Sunnis. You have Muslims who are dislocated. They need all of this help. Why Why spend it and waste it on a war? And then you're running out of money, so you, confis you try to confiscate the wealth of your own family, of your own cousins, of your own rotten regime. Oh, we're not, you're not supposed to, why am not, why am not supposed to speak about this? Who said that they are above the law? Who said that they are above Allah? Who said? Where did this come from?
And then, like we said, now it's been confirmed. We've been saying in the past khutbahs that Indian airline, uh, India Air is going to be flying between India and Israel. And before, they used to circumvent the Arabian Peninsula over the Red Sea and onto colonized Palestine. Now, they're able to do that and fly right over Mecca and Al Medina if you want. They'll fly right over them because this youngster who's calling the shots in the Arabian Peninsula, literally calling in the shots and shooting the shots, has given them permission to do so. They're going to save about three hours in that trip. It's going to be an hour trip of seven hours and five minutes. And it's going to begin next week. And the Pakistan, some Pakistani individuals in the armed forces are protecting that kingdom that now is in a political love affair with their avowed enemy in India. All of this is happening. And we the Muslims, we're supposed to say, oh, there's nothing happening. Nothing is going on. Everything is all right. No, nothing is all right. Everything is going on. They're planning for a war. They are planning. The imperialists and Zionists, and these words should be used in every khutbah. The imperialists and the Zionists are planning a war. And what do we do? Bury our heads in the sand like ostriches and say, oh, nothing is going to happen. And then when it happens, then we react. There's going to be demonstrations and there's going to be... No, don't react. Prepare. Prepare yourselves. And the first step in that preparation is to know and to think about what is being planned before it's too late. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ah wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ajtinaabah wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna واجعلنا للمتقين إماما اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم 
في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر 